0: Book One, chapter two A of A Family of Noblemen by Mikhail Saltikov Shedrin translated by Avram Yarmolinsky, eighteen ninety to nineteen seventy five. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Book I, The Family Council. Chapter two A arina petrovna was sixty years old still of sound health and accustomed to have her own way in everything her manner was severe she lived alone and managed the huge golovlyov estate all by herself without having to answer to any one else she calculated closely almost parsimoniously was not intimate with her neighbours was gracious to the local authorities and exacted implicit obedience from her children they were not to do anything without first asking themselves what would mamenka say about it she was independent inflexible even stubborn though her stubbornness was not so much native as due chiefly to the circumstance that there was not one person in the whole golovliov family that could oppose her her husband was a trifling creature and drank Arina petrovna used to say of herself that she was neither a widow nor a married woman some of the children were in st petersburg the others took after their father and were relegated to the class of horrid creatures who were unfit for household duties in these circumstances arina petrovna soon began to feel all left alone and grew totally disaccustomed to family life although the word family was constantly on her lips and outwardly she seemed to be exclusively guided in all her work by the desire to build up the family estate and keep the family affairs in order the head of the family vladimir Mikhailovich golovliov was known from his youth as a dissolute quarrelsome fellow with nothing in his character that would be sympathetic to a serious active woman like arina petrovna he led a lazy good-for-nothing existence usually stayed locked up in his room where he imitated the warble of the starlings the crowing of cocks and the like and composed ribald doggerel. In bursts of confidence, he would boast that he had been a friend of the poet Barkov, intimating that the poet had blessed him on his deathbed. arina Petrovna disliked her husband's verses from the very first—nasty stuff, trash. She called them, and since Vladimir Mikhailovich's very object in marrying had been to have someone ever at hand to listen to his poetry, the result was that quarrels soon began which grew worse and worse and more frequent until they ended with arina petrovna utterly indifferent and contemptuous of her clown husband and vladimir Mikhailich hating his wife sincerely with a hatred considerably mixed with fear the husband called the wife a hag and a devil the wife called the husband a windmill and a balalaika without strings they lived together in this way for more than forty years and it never occurred to either of them that there was anything unnatural in such a life. Time did not diminish Vladimir Mikhailovich's quarrelsomeness. On the contrary, it took on a still sharper edge. Apart from the poetical exercising in Barkov's spirit that he did, he began to drink and to lie in wait eagerly for the servant girls in the corridors. At first, Arina Petrovna looked on this new occupation of her husband's with repugnance she even got wrought up over it not so much from jealousy as that she felt it to be an interference with her authority after a while however she shrugged her shoulders and merely watched out that the dirty wenches should not fetch brandy for their master from that time on having said to herself once for all that her husband was not a companion she directed her efforts exclusively to one object the building up of the estate and in the forty years of her married life she actually succeeded in multiplying her property tenfold with astonishing patience and acumen she kept her eye on the near and distant villages found out in secret ways the relations that existed between the neighbouring landowners and the board of trustees and always appeared at the auctions like snow on the head in this fantastic hunt for new acquisitions vladimir mikhailitch receded more and more into the background turned seedy and at last dropped out of social life completely he was now a decrepit old man already keeping his bed almost the whole time on the rare occasions that he left his room it was only to stick his head through the half-open door of his wife's bedroom and shout devil after which he would go back and close himself up in his own room again arina petrovna was not much happier in her children she was of a celibate nature so to speak independent and self-sufficient and her children were nothing to her but a useless burden the only times when she breathed freely was when she was alone with her accounts and her household affairs and when no one interfered with her business talks with her managers stewards housekeepers and so on in her eyes, children were one of the preordained things in life that she felt she had no right to protest against. Nevertheless, they did not touch a single chord in her inner being, which was given over wholly to the numberless details of the household. There were four children, one daughter and three sons. Of the oldest son and the daughter, she did not even like to speak. Toward the youngest son, she was indifferent. It was only for the middle one, Porfisha that she cherished any feeling at all a feeling not of love but of something very akin to fear stepan vladimirych the oldest son passed in the family by the name of simple simon or the sauce-box he was very young when he was put into the class of horrid creatures and from childhood up played the role of half pariah half clam unfortunately he was a bright child susceptible to the impressions of his environment from his father, he inherited an irresistible inclination to play tricks, from his mother the ability to divine the weak sides of people's natures. The first characteristic soon made him his father's favorite, which still further intensified his mother's dislike of him. Often, when the mother was absent on business, the father and the boy would betake themselves into the study, adorned with the portrait of Barkoff, read ribald poems and gossip the chief butt of their raillery being the hag that is to say arina petrovna the hag instinctively divining their occupation would drive up to the front steps very quietly then tiptoe to the study door and listen to their fun-making the murderous punishment of simple simon followed swift and cruel but styopka was not subdued he was impervious either to blows or to admonitions, and in half an hour was back again at his tricks. He would cut up on the servant girl's scarf, or he would stick flies into Vasyutka's mouth while he slept, or he would run into the kitchen and carry off a cake. Arina Petrovna kept her children half hungry, which he always divided with his brothers. You ought to be killed, his mother said i'll kill you and i won't have to answer for it either even god won't punish me for it this humiliation constantly put upon a nature soft yielding and forgetful did not remain without its effect it did not embitter him nor did it make him rebellious it made him servile disposed to buffoonery with no sense of the fitness of things and devoid of all foresight and prudence such natures yield to all influences and may become almost anything, drunkards, beggars, buffoons, even criminals. At the age of 20, Stepan Golovlyov graduated from the gymnasium in Moscow and entered the university. But his student's life was a bitter one. In the first place, his mother gave him just enough money to keep him from dying of hunger. Secondly, he did not show the least inclination to work. Instead, he developed an accursed talent, which expressed itself chiefly in mimicry, and he suffered from a desire for constant companionship. He hated to be alone a single instant. So he played the light role of hanger-on and parasite, and thanks to his readiness for any prank, he soon became the favorite of the rich students. However, though they received him into their society, they looked on him not as one of them, but as a clown, and the reputation clung to him. Once placed on such a plane, he naturally slid down lower and lower, and at the end of the fourth year was thoroughly confirmed in his clownship. Nevertheless, thanks to his receptive ability and good memory, he passed the examination successfully and received his bachelor's degree. When he appeared before his mother with a diploma, she merely shrugged her shoulders and said, ''Well, that's funny.'' then after letting him spend a month in the country she shipped him back to st petersburg with an allowance of a hundred rubles a month now there began for him endless visits to various government offices he had neither patrons nor the determination to make his own way by hard work the lad's mind had lost so completely the habit of concentration that bureaucratic tasks such as the drawing up of briefs and case abstracts were beyond his power after four years of struggle, Stepan was forced to admit that there was no hope of his ever rising above the rank of a government clerk. In reply to his lamentations, Arina Petrovna wrote him a stern letter which began with the words, I was sure that would happen, and wound up with a command to return at once to Moscow. There, at the conclave of Arina Petrovna's favorite peasants, it was decided to place Simple Simon in the Olet court entrusting him to the care of a pettifogger who from time immemorial had been the legal adviser of the golovliov family what stepan vladimirych did in the at court and how he behaved there is a mystery what is certain is that at the end of the third year he was there no longer then arina petrovna took a heroic measure she threw her son a bone which was also supposed to fill the part of the parental blessing that is to say the patrimony the bone consisted of a house in moscow for which she had paid twelve thousand rubles for the first time in his life stepan golovlyov breathed freely the house promised to bring him an income of a thousand silver rubles a sum which in comparison with his former income seemed like genuine prosperity he kissed his mamma's hand effusively and promised to justify her kindness whereupon arina petrovna said that's better but mind you you numbskull that's all you get from me but alas so little was he used to handling money so absurd was his estimation of real values in life that before long what he thought to be a fabulous revenue proved insufficient in five or six years he was totally ruined and was only too glad to enter the militia which was then being organized no sooner however did the militia troops reach kharkov than peace was concluded and golovlyov went back to moscow dressed in a somewhat threadbare uniform and high boots by this time his house had already been sold and the only thing he owned was a hundred rubles he began speculating with this capital that is he tried his luck at cards but in a short time he lost all he had then he conceived the plan of visiting his mother's well-to-do peasants who lived in Moscow. Some of them invited him to dinner, others, yielding to his importunings, gave him tobacco or lent him small sums of money. At last the hour came when he found himself before a blind wall, as it were. He was already almost forty years old and had to confess to himself that his nomadic existence was too much for his strength. There was only one thing left to him— to take the road leading to golovliovo after stepan vladimirych the oldest child came anna vladimirovna about whom arina petrovna did not like to speak either the truth of the matter was the old lady had placed definite expectations in Anushka, but she far from fulfilling her mother's hopes had perpetrated a scandal which set the whole district agog when Anushka left the girls boarding-school arina petrovna installed her at the village hoping to make of her a sort of unpaid private secretary and bookkeeper but instead anushka eloped one fine night with Cornet ulanov and married him they have married like dogs without a parent's blessing complained arina petrovna lucky though that he submitted to a wedding ceremony at all another man would have taken advantage of her and vanished into thin air a fine chance for catching a bird with her daughter Irina Petrovna dealt as peremptorily as she had with her hated son. She bestowed a bone upon her, too, in the shape of five thousand rubles and a wretched little village of thirty souls and a manor-house going with it, so dilapidated that the wind blew through the gaping, painless windows and there was not one sound board in the flooring. In two years the young couple had gone through the money and the cornet took himself off, "'deserting his wife and two twin girls, Aninka and Lubinka. three months later, the mother died, "'and Arina Petrovna willy-nilly "'had to take the little orphans into her own house. "'She installed them in a side wing "'and entrusted them to the care of Palashka, old and one-eyed. "'The Lord's mercy is great,' remarked Arina Petrovna. "'The little orphans won't eat much of my bread, "'but they'll be a solace to me in my old age. "'God has given me two daughters instead of one.' at the same time she wrote to her son porfiry vladimirych your dear sister died as she lived indecently and now her two children are hanging round my neck what we are going to say may seem cynical but we feel it our duty to state that the granting of the heritage to stepan and anna did not by any means impair arina petrovna's financial condition on the contrary in reducing the number of shareholders it contributed indirectly to the rounding out of the family estate for arina petrovna was a woman of strict principles and once having thrown them a bone she considered her obligations toward her unloved children completely and definitely settled in regard to her grandchildren it never entered her mind that in due time she would have to part with something for them all she cared for was to draw all the income possible from the small estate of her deceased daughter and deposit it in the chamber of trustees there i am she would say laying by money for the orphans for feeding and bringing them up i take nothing from them for the bread they eat it is god who will pay me as for the younger children porphyry and pavel they served in st petersburg the former in a civil capacity the latter in the army porfiry was married pavel was an old bachelor end of book one chapter two a recording by expatriate in bangor maine